We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal prove they're ready for the test of Liverpool with narrow 2-1 victory over League One Blackpool with 10 men. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. If Arsenal can beat League One Blackpool down to 10 men, there's no telling what we can do to Liverpool when they rock up at the Emirates at the weekend. But we'll discuss that. We'll discuss the Blackpool game, and we will discuss Aaron Ramsey's contract, which I believe is in Ivan Gazidis' carry-on luggage on his way to Milan. So uh, maybe we'll get Gazidis on to talk about that a little bit. But before he comes on to join us, let's talk to Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posen in my pants. Hello, Paul. Woo! Yeah, and Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Neither Clive nor Scott will be on this podcast, so please leave us a five-star review. Write nasty things about them um, anywhere, anywhere. Yeah, scribble them on your bathroom wall if you want to. It's fine. Take a picture. Send it to us. Uh, in any event, a couple of things. So Tim will have a match preview for the Liverpool game on Patreon, which you should sign up for. And if you don't sign up for it, we still love you and thank you. Anyway, uh, we have a new sponsor. We announced it online. You will be uh, hearing their promotion begin in November because uh, it's November technically today, but we're going to start that with the uh, post-Liverpool match. So there you go. And the big news. The winner of the shirt competition. It is officially November, so we can officially announce the winner of the shirt competition. And that winner is Alan Wayne. Alan Wayne has won the Arsenal shirt of his choosing. We'll be reaching out to you, Alan, on email. Paul told me that was the most exciting news of his day before we came on. He said, I care more about who wins this shirt than I do about anything I've done today. So, Paul, very excited for Alan. Uh, Tim, I believe, is equally excited for Alan. Alan Wayne, you are the shirt winner. Uh, Okay, 
Enough of that. Tim, so good to have you back on. I've been having to talk to Paul and Clive and Scott. <laughs> this this <laughs> so, is a nice change of pace. So so I'm really happy. You uh you got to see a thrill a minute game at the Emirates. Maybe not so much in the first half. Second half got a little more interesting than we might have liked. This was the lineup I was kind of hoping to see. Full rotation, really. Uh, a really uh, all-change ahead of Liverpool. It didn't really end that way. We can come to that. But as far as the way the coach approached this game, pretty much spot on, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Even um, some of the players who might play on Saturday... Um, I think you can make a case for all of them. If Bellerin's not fit and we have to play Licksteiner, then he could probably do with the minutes. Um, Mustafi at centre-back, if he has to play on Saturday, which I really hope he doesn't, <laughs> um, then that's fine. He's a centre-back. That's not going to cause too many conniptions. And yeah, I, th- I think the starting lineup was pretty much exactly what I expected. I, I, I think... I didn't know which way round he'd put the fullbacks, but um, I guess it makes a certain amount of sense because basically Jenkinson has no future at Arsenal, so there's not really the need to accommodate him in the same way. And like I said, if Lichstein is needed at right back on Saturday, then um, it's best we play him there, really. Um, as for the rest of it, I, I know... Um, you know, a few of my friends kind of expressed disappointment that these games nowadays don't have more youngsters, um, you know, back like they used to perhaps 10 years ago. And I kind of understand that because that made the competition a bit more exciting. And actually, I think those young teams had a bit more cohesion together because largely because they were playing together kind of in the junior teams. Um, but I, 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 first of all, the squad's a bit older now. So our squad players are players like Mkhitaryan and like Licksteiner. Um, But also when you look back at some of those old League Cup teams, most of them didn't actually make it anyway. Um, And so what we've basically done, we we played um, Pleggy. I won't try and um, pronounce, doing the disservice of trying to pronounce his name. To be fair, mispronunciations Um, are sort of the brand here, but okay. (laughs) I I actually watched it on a French channel and they really don't know how to pronounce. I mean, they pronounce Gwendouzi, Gwendouzi, but they pronounce Pleguezuela, Pleguezuela. So, yeah. They're hypocrites. And, and you know, the French are famously very tolerant of mispronunciation. They are, yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I mean, we played him because we kind of had to, really, didn't we? Because we don't have many centre backs. Um, he's, he's, I think he's twenty, maybe at the moment. So I'm not sure he has much of a future. Twenty one, yeah. Um, but you know, basically, we got we got Maitland Niles in. I'm not, I'm not really sure why we played him on the right. I'm not sure how useful that was. I think there were other players who could have gone out there. Um, and, you know, the the young player that's really got a shot is Emil Smith-Rowe and he got another game, he got another goal. Um, you know, that would be invaluable to him. Um, I, I guess the, the big kind of um, question is over Eddie and Ketia, um, really, who's who's not getting a look in even in these games. Um, and you, you'd think that either he doesn't have a future or um, he he really needs to go out on loan soon. So... Um, yeah, I, I I thought the lineup was fine. Maybe the bench surprised me a little bit, um, but then again, I think you know we've spoken a lot on this podcast about this kind of increased democracy and you know keeping players topped up with minutes and treating every game like a kind of like a democracy. So, um, and and I don't think any of the players we bought on um, are going to be particularly knackered. Um, I mean, we so, can, yeah, we I can mean, come to that because I have 
feelings, <laughs> as you might imagine. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. We, we'll come onto that. But I, I was maybe slightly surprised by the personnel on the bench. But then again, that's because you know I've been programmed into Arsene Wenger's approach into this competition. So um, we'll see. But yeah, I, 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 I thought the starting lineup was what I expected and kind of what I wanted. Yeah, and I agree with that. And we can come to the substitutions and the wisdom of how they were used. I think. The fact is, within Ketia, maybe it is just a case of you've got Welbeck, Aubameyang, and Lacazette, and Emery wants to get each of them a chance at some point to play through the middle to maintain sharpness in that role, and that's a priority to him over getting in Ketia some, some time. But if that's the case, he's got to go out somewhere. I mean, he has to be playing right now. So, you know, Paul, one of the things that I mentioned on Twitter, not everybody reacted to it super positively, which is going to come no. as a huge surprise, Um is just watching Ganduzi on the pitch with 18-year-old Smith Rowe, 21-year-old Maitland Niles, 20 was it 21 Pleggy or 22 21 Pleggy and obviously Ganduzi 19. I think this to me is such a stark reminder of the difference between you know a hot prospect who we kind of hope gets a role in the team at some point and maybe becomes a part of the first team and a guy who looks like a star in the making. I think some people believe that I am going too far in my praise for Ganduzi and what he has done at Arsenal so far, and maybe it is a little over the top. I think he makes looks, a pleasant change from you. So yeah, keep yeah, bringing well, it. I've got to save my my anger and uh, frustration for other players. So I, you know, where yeah. Ganduzi is is con- concerned, I'm just balancing that out. But you know, to me, I watch him and I see a player who looks like he belongs in a first team at a big club, if not starting every match, certainly capable of starting and capable of influencing a game. And the assist he provided was absolutely brilliant. And he had a couple other brilliant passes in the game. His vision of the pitch is so incredible. But watching him now and thinking of how we've rated players down the years, all of these prospects that we've had from you know Chips Vela and you know now Maitland-Niles and, and Kedia and Smith-Rowe, and you know we can go through the names Chuck Saniki and Benekafobi, is Ganduzi the clearest example, the more you watch him, especially on the pitch with other players that are really his contemporaries age-wise, of the difference between a young star and a young prospect? Uh, yeah. Now, I thought the other lads actually did pretty well this really? game. But, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we can get into that. Sure. Well, I'd um, like to handle that too while you're at it. Why not? Yeah, yeah. But I thought Ganduzi, I mean, I've liked what he's done, and, and sometimes he's looked really good, and sometimes he's looked just okay at the senior level, which is a compliment in itself anyway. I mean, the boy's only 19. I thought he really popped in this game. He, he ran the show. It was a lot of responsibility. I mean, the midfield was all his. Um, and he had his head up, picking passes, uh, who's been aggressive um, with the passing. Uh, I thought he was really good in this. It, sh- shame about the red card and not being available for Liverpool. Yeah, and by the and, way, that has been cleared up. He is not available for Liverpool. Everybody had a bit of a mare on Twitter, at least, uh, trying to me. determine the, ru- the rule. Well, I had it right okay. initially, then got yeah. talked out of it, then back. But he is banned for Liverpool. Yeah, you were blown in the wind both ways every five minutes. Thanks for it's thanks a for reminding embarrassing me. For your Thought I handled that already. Performance, yeah. but I tweeted once on it, and you so, were correct, uh, and I was correct. Well, so, so so before we move on from you, I mean, did you you think Maitland Niles and and Smithrow did well? I, I mean, obviously Smithrow got a goal that he didn't really hit as cleanly as he might like, but it goes they all go in, they all count. Um, but I thought they I both struggled to Smith- influence the game. No. Nah, nah, I thought, no, so here's what I think. I think pretty much everybody played pretty decently. Nobody clicked. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I watched, first time round, I thought it was ugly. Second time round, 
I'm like, well, what was this guy doing? And what was that guy doing? Ramsey and Mkhitaryan, for example, made runs all day long. Nobody was really fine to them. Um, I, I think everybody was at least okay, um, with the exception. Uh, I mean, Carl was a bit hit and miss, but he was below par for me. Or, or at Czech, the par that's par for him. <laughs> yeah, and, and Czech clearly had a bit of a mirror. Um, I think actually everybody else did pretty well. Uh, but it was only the Carabao Cup and Blackpool, so you got to dial it back a few notches. I thought Emil Smith Rowe was really good. Um, that might not be a popular opinion. And for the goal, look, one thing I I compare him to Ramsey wise is he's at least at this age not afraid to get into the box, into those positions. And you know, Ramsey's scuffed a few of his own into the back of the net. He's not always the the cleanest finisher anyway in terms of conversion rate. So a player with the legs he has who'll get up and back and into that spot in the box. I mean, he 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 overruns it going to meet it uh, like on the goal line, then he realizes it's not come across and drops into a little pocket. So I think it's all fine and good, even as a bit of a, a, uh, a something of a miss hit. So I thought he was pretty good. but I'll, uh, And I thought Maitland Lyles looked pretty good. He was played not in... Well, he can he could play that position if if he got more time at it. He's I'm sure Tim can correct this if it's off, but you know he's played plenty of the wing in his youth uh, as a youth mm-hmm. player. Uh, I think he did pretty good. He put in some nice uh, whipped cro- two or three nice whipped crosses. He showed his legs. He showed his athleticism. I thought it was all fine. You know, uh, as a game, it was ugly. So we assume all the players were ugly within it, but I think the yeah. individual performances just didn't click together. That was my feeling on it. But yeah. Ganduzi popped. Uh, uh, I mean, I've gotten used to him being somewhere between decent and good at the senior level, and this game he just popped for me. Well, and this is the thing, and Tim, so so maybe you can come in on the, the Maitland-Niles-Smith-Rowe thing briefly, is that mm. this is League One opposition at home, and I realize they're going to be a little bit more defensive and that can co- pose problems but this is where young players are supposed to pop so they can make their argument for more playing time and if ever there was a competition that became a platform for players to prove their worth at arsenal this competition was it uh, under arson Wenger. i think for me i would have liked to have seen more from either smithrow or maitland niles to say that they're taking that step closer to the first team and i think genduzi probably was our best performer on the night at some level so you know, for you, when you look at a player like like Maitland Niles in particular, who's 21 and and felt so close to making a breakthrough, and then had injuries and had other setbacks, is this a disappointment in terms of the progress you'd like him to be making? No, I, I agree with what Paul said actually in terms of the the clickage. Um, first of all, it's it's not a team that plays together very often. Um, so, you know, he's kind of... Uh, Smithrow looked a lot better in the Europa League game, I think, yeah, where... I um, I, th- I think it was a slightly stronger team. Also, I think going forward, that's not a very creative forward line. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, Ramsey's back in the double pivot and he was very disciplined, but, you know, we know that's not really his strength creation. Maitland-Niles on the right um, and then Mkhitaryan on the left, who I felt was pretty... I don't... I, just don't a bit like Iwobi on the right. I don't, I don't really like Mkhitaryan on the left. I think he should play on the right. Here, here. Um, 
Yeah, and then Welbeck up front. I mean, it's it's a pretty workmanlike um, forward line, and it and it put a lot of the emphasis, I think, on Smith Rowe to be the creative player. It was almost like, right, you're in for Özil, and not only are you in for Özil, but um, there's no Iwobi here. There's no like secondary creator. So I, I felt like that was slightly tough on him. With Maitland Niles, um, Paul's right. Maitland Niles spent a season on the right wing at Ipswich. Um, and you know, I, I happen to think that he could he could be a decent like ish backup right back. Um, but I this it slightly worried me that he I I thought when I saw the lineup would see you know Maitland Niles in the double pivot, Ramsey in the number ten, and Smithrow on the right. That, yeah. That's what I was expecting to see, and um, it, it slightly worried me that he put. Well, I, I wouldn't say worried me, but I I think it might it should slightly worry Maitland-Niles perhaps that he was the one who was really put out of position. Um, whereas Smith Rowe was like given the number 10 role, which I think was a bit too much given what he had around him. But that's, that's quite a show of faith. You know, I said earlier in, in the pod that, you know, we put Jenkinson at left back because essentially we don't really care about him um, or his future. And it was just a body. And I kind of felt like Maitland-Niles on the right is the same thing. Um, you know, I appreciate we gave him a new contract this summer, but I really don't think any of the new contracts that were dished out this summer were like affirmative shows of faith in those players. I think it was asset protection. And the fact that I and I appreciate he's just come back from injury, but it almost felt like we put Maitland-Niles on the right because the manager doesn't really care about him when it would have been very easy to play him in his favoured position. And he kind of moved, to, he, you know, he played Ramsey there. In, in fact, the be for me much more of an argument for playing Ramsey on the right and make that would my center yep. yeah because we don't have to care about Aaron Ramsey anymore so well, I, and you at know, a minimum maybe, you could say that's a that's a position he could audition to play a little bit with yeah. the first team before he's gone I mean it's him or Mkhitaryan for that position Awobi doesn't really work yeah. there I would have liked to have seen if if in this system he can be that right side solution yeah, agreed. And, you know, we've seen Ramsey play well on the right before, and I've always thought that's a decent enough position for him, but obviously he feels differently. But again, we don't have to care what he thinks anymore. We're not investing in his future. So, um, you know, and and he's he's a decent professional. I don't think he'd kick up too much fuss if we stuck him on the right. But yeah, so I, I you know, I thought Maitland-Niles was okay, given that he was you know that wasn't really the so Ipswich he played on the right of a midfield four and that that's not really what this was and I don't think it was really going to get the best out of him particularly when he hadn't played um, a full senior game for a few months so if I were him I would perhaps be a little bit worried about how the manager views me Smithrow I think yeah Smithrow it was you know if we take the context away of the fact that he's an 18 year old who was playing in the under 18s last season, then it was, you know, it was a six out of 10 performance, but he still got a goal. Um, you know, he got in a position to get the goal. So he kind of, he did what we put him in there to do effectively to either create or score a goal. Um, and the manager played him in a, a position that has a lot of responsibility. And he, even if he didn't, you know, his performance wasn't amazing. He came up with some end products. So I think he can be positive about his night. Maitland-Niles, I'd be a bit worried if I were him. Yeah, and to be fair, I mean, you can look at Reese Nelson, who I thought, when he played for the first team the last couple of seasons, just failed to impress. I, I knew he was a bright young talent from what everyone who watched the, you know, the, the youth teams say, but I 
I had never really seen it. And then he goes to Germany and gets a chance to play in positions he wants to play in, and he's off to a fantastic start to life there. So, you know, maybe we just have to pump the brakes. Well, I say we. I have to pump the brakes on drawing conclusions about a player like Maitland-Niles or Smith-Rowe until they do get a chance to be played in positions where they want to play in teams that are a little more cohesive. I just, I think I would have liked to have seen a little more pop here. And again, it is a League One team at home. Um, so, you, you know, even if you're in a more workmanlike team against this level of opposition, the players can hopefully show something. It makes you wonder if the four-two-three-one makes any sense without Ozil, because so far this season, we haven't <clears> found any player who can play the number 10 position in this system effectively other than Ozil. Um, you know, and the thing that scares me a little bit, Paul, I want to come on to the Ramsey thing here in a second, but just one one thing. You look at patterns of play and repetition of problems within the Emory system, and one of them is just this disconnect between central midfield and that, that uh, trio of attackers behind the striker, the, the three mm-hmm. behind the one, and how disconnected they get and how much we struggle to build up through the central positions of the pitch anyway. We had that problem in this game. Now you could say, well, you know, it's the lineup, it's the lack of cohesion, but there seems to be a theme developing here about how the center of midfield and that front three, four connect. And it seems to be a bit of a problem. I mean, do you think it's a reach to, to see that in this game, given the lineup? Or do you think it's fair to start to worry about that as a flaw in the system a little bit? No, I, I think it's a, a worry in the system at the moment. To me, I, I mean, we can go through the names of the midfielders and we realize there's an issue. Um, Terrera looks like a lock. Uh, Ganduzi uh, is manfully doing that second that second pivot, if we want to call it that. Um, but at the age of 19, some ga- games he's going to look very vanilla for us. It's just the way it is. He's doing great. Um, he's, he's a talent. Some ga- days he looks great. Some days he'll just look okay. I think the two of them were a fine... Uh, unit a fine feisty unit uh, in the game against Palace, but maybe we didn't create create as much from those positions as we might have liked. So I thought Gunduzi had a good game, but it was a big ask for him to really not only have a good game in midfield, but knit us to Ozil and and the front four. Um, and beyond those two, we have Chaka, who's a really good uh, heads up passer, given the extra yard but struggles in every other department. And Ramsey hasn't been regarded as a viable second pivot for some time. So where did that leave us? It left us with Torreira and issues with every other player who would partner him, one of whom may turn out to be the real deal. But even though we've, we've effectively got two new midfielders uh, who are playing lots of mid, uh, minutes for us this season... We're at least one more midfielder away, uh, competing for that those two pivot spots before we can reliably and consistently churn out a midfield that that knits defence midfield and tack together. I mean, look at the bloody number of bloody midfielders Liverpool have at this stage. They got five or six, um, none of whom are a ten, if you like, want to put it like that, who can. Uh, swivel into every game and keep a level of intensity and impact that we can only dream dream of at the moment. Well, so here's the question, then, Paul. Stay with just for one second. Are, is it is it time to maybe question whether the system can work with this team? 
for you know for the foreseeable future i mean at what point do you say i'd rather see him adjust well i mean one difficulty is we've kept winning but i i think that's a false read to some degree uh, probably should have been a lot more draws along the way over the last 10 11 games um so i think we're pretty close to having to make an adjustment to the system i mean e- even our our scenario that 4231 only works with ozil uh, depends on whether you think it works with ozil so well well you know that's a fair point yeah it's a fair point of course and and by the way i mean Look, this is what's so difficult about – this is going to sound really weird – but difficult about winning a lot of games in sort of an unconvincing performances is that you don't want to fix what ain't broke, but it might be broke. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, Yeah, you, and you need the team buy-in. If you're going to ask them to do things that are somewhat unnatural to them – I mean, they'll do it for a game or two, but if they also start losing, now you have players – who don't know why you're asking them to do things that seem unnatural or wrong, and you're losing. So it's, it's uh, who'd be a coach? Well, I would. Yeah. They pay you five or six or seven million quid, whether you're yeah, shit I don't mind getting not. sacked after six months. It's felt yeah. I can buy out my so, contract. <laughs> yeah, so it's a pre- precariously balanced situation at the moment where you wonder, do we have enough to even keep our current formation running with any changes in personnel and we haven't really tested it against the big boys yet but i think we're suspicious that we may uh, be found a little short when we play liverpool or whoever um and there's probably a reason they say the manager will need three or four windows to have the personnel that he believes in um you know i I parroted that at the start of the season but i'm but i kind of felt we had enough good players for us to be at least close, but but maybe that's just how it is. I mean, we've seen the number of players. Uh, some player, some clubs hit it pretty quick. Chelsea have, uh, but they have a title-winning team from two seasons ago, and they got you know probably the magic position for them. Bring in Jorginho, um, which was the dream for Sari, yeah. and they're off and clicking. So, but we're not them. We're we're probably two or three different versions of teams now. And uh, a few windows away, so yeah, I we, think we're, we're we got to screw up at least that. three or four more windows before we settle in the mid table. So, uh, I'm kidding, it's a joke. Nobody send the hate mail to Scott. Um, so, <laughs> uh, Tim, I, I have two questions for you. One, just really quickly on Ganduzi. You know, watching this game, I'm starting to get the sense that he's a little more of a creative player than I thought when he gets close to goal. The assist was really, really brilliant. He had a couple other uh, brilliant passes in the final third. Um, he just has a really good eye for the open man. And I wonder, as Ozil's time winds down in the next, you know, maybe three seasons, and Ganduzi's getting into, you know, that stage of his career where he can really be a, a feature in the first team, would you say that he could play more of that attacking eight, that the modern 10, more like the Kevin De Bruyne 10? I'm not saying he's Kevin De Bruyne, but someone who can pick the ball up deeper, carry it forward, drive it in the attacking third, play a final ball, or look for his own shot. I mean, could could we shift to a four three three with him in the middle of that midfield three in more of the De Bruyne role at, at the time trans, we we start to transition away from Ozil looking in your crystal ball? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think um, he's he, he's obviously a very good progressive passer. Um, so I've I've written about this in the column this week about you know just like a little breakdown of um, naturally what what indeed. 
what what has actually changed under Emery and um, actually one of one of the areas was possibly too too positive about given the performances but the, the the area where you can see a plan is the midfield he pretty much always has that double pivot and he likes having a couple of progressive passes in there so he likes having Jacka and Torreira and this is me completely speculating but I think the only signing that had his fingerprints on it this summer was Genduzi. and it's obviously because he saw him for one of those two positions and you know he's another guy that does that kind of um, you know, not not necessarily risky because that's that almost sounds reckless, but that progressive passing. Um, but that said, one one of the things I really like about Genduzi is um, the comfort with which he takes the ball off the goalkeeper. I think he's one of the best players in our squad. At that he's one of the ones who really, really doesn't get the heebie-jeebies when the goalkeeper gives him the ball on the edge of our box. You know, he gives a little look behind. He's nice and calm. And it doesn't take him, you know, he, he you don't get, you know, a bit like when, so I think Xhaka looks calm when he picks up the ball in that position, but you can almost hear the beep, beep, Securico vehicle is reversing <laughs> when, <laughs> when, he, when he kind of tries to get it on his left foot. Whereas you don't get that with Genduzi. It's, yeah, I can see him. He's 10 yards behind me. I don't care. I'll turn and, and off I go. And actually his passing in our half I think is very good and very valuable. So I uh, I don't have a strong opinion on it. I'm I'm happy to see how it shakes out. Um, I suppose a little bit like, you know, you, the discussion you and Paul just had, do, do we wait until Emery buys the players that fit the system or do we play the system that fits the players? Because to me, if you play the system that fits the players um, with this squad, you play two up front. That's where our strength is. Um, and our best performance this season, for my money, absolutely without question, was Fulham when we played two up front. Um, I, I think that's the kind of team we've got. But um, it's kind of the same with Genduzi. I'm, I'm not in a rush um, to kind of say what he'll become. I'm, I'm, I like what I'm seeing now, and I think a lot of it will depend on how the team evolves and what the team needs. Okay, so let's talk about the team evolving, and a big evolution of it is Ramsey and and his departure. So. I mean, it's it's hard to know where the chicken and the egg are on this one. I mean, the egg is up the chicken's butt, and then it comes out of the chicken's butt. But like before the, that, I mean, I, I obviously the rooster that's, had sex with the chicken. Yeah, and then the chicken poops out the egg, right? Just like yeah. how we make babies, right? Yeah, the, the well, woman not me. poops out the baby. Anyway, <laughs> that that's that's how I understand it to work. Um, and uh, apropos of our future sponsor. In any event, um, uh, <laughs> so, so usually Paul throws in that last bit that I don't want in the, in the podcast, but it was me this time. I've been so good. <laughs> I know, it's bizarre. You are bad sponsors. That's because you're, you know. you're waiting for the next episode when we launch it. Um, okay, so, so Tim, he mm. looks bereft of confidence is such a squishy word because who the hell knows mm. if he's bereft of confidence? He's certainly bereft of any form. He is not playing well i don't know if the system suits him i don't know if the way he's being deployed suits him i don't know if the contract issue is upsetting him but there are really two issues to untangle here one is just what you think of ramsey the player right now and what's going on with him on the pitch but Mm. then two is we gotta dig into the news that broke The, the news that's broken is ramsey's been told he'll be let go of for free this summer that he'll be allowed to leave for free there will be no um contract agreed to with him that basically Gazidis wanted to sign him and when Gazidis left they immediately pulled the contract uh Raul has gone on record this week basically saying we you know in the past we've been too naive we've let players get into their last year when they've got 
three years left on their deal. You need to be looking to restructure. You should never be in this situation. So help me unpack this. And first of all, mm. in terms of people saying, well, this is Ramsey and Ramsey's agent, and they screwed the club, and they, they overplayed their hand, I don't necessarily see it that way. I'm curious nope. to see where you come out on it. No, I don't. I, I, I don't think they've ever played their hand. He's going to go on a Bosman. Um, they, they've played it absolutely superbly. They've taken us for mugs. Um, oh, I, I can give you a really quick answer on where Ramsey the player is, and it's nowhere because um, he doesn't fit this team anymore. And um, I keep banging on about this, not to elucidate my own genius, but because I'm happy um, to do it for it, you if you prefer. <laughs> but, but because. It was so, 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 so obvious that this was going to happen. I wrote in the last week of May that we should sell Ramsey because let's have a little look at what's happened over the last 12 months. We bought, we got two fifty million pound strikers. We put £350,000 a week into Mesut Ozil and we threw Mkhitaryan into the equation. You know, we, we absolutely overloaded our squad with attacking talent. So Ramsey became much more not only did, did he become a bit more dispensable um, particularly when we have needs in other areas of the squad and we didn't have the money to address those needs we were scrabbling around for was it Vida the Croatian defender who I don't even think is very good in the last minute of the window and then didn't do it because we basically couldn't afford him you know it, it to me it was absolutely made business sense to sell Ramsey this summer, and it, it, to me it was just obvious he wasn't going to fit into this team. It's it just completely obvious. We bought all these attackers. We don't need a midfielder anymore, uh, careering forward from the centre circle because we've got a couple of fifty million strikers, and we've just you know put most of our budget for the next five years into you know, a, a number 10. So it, it was just completely obvious. And it was completely obvious to me that he was going to struggle to fit in in that framework. As for um, how Arsenal come out on this, I think extremely badly. It's the worst case scenario has happened. Um, maybe it doesn't matter whose fault it was. I, I think, asked, you know, there was something in the Telegraph yesterday about, like, like you just said, oh, Gazidis wanted him to stay, but the new exec committee don't want him to. So that's the, you know, First of all, it's absolutely textbook to blame the guy who left yesterday. <laughs> um, I confess he did it. <laughs> it exactly. Did, did you ever see that? There's a, there's a Simpsons episode where Homer says, like, oh, always blame the guy that doesn't speak English. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's kind of like that. It's like for the next kind of three months... It's like, oh, yeah, that, that was Gazidis' fault. And it might well have been. But you know what? Raul Sanyehi was still here in the summer. This still happened on his watch. He was still watching this unfold. And I'm sorry, if that is true, that, you know, old Gazidis wanted it and now he's out the door, we don't anymore, then why the fuck were you sitting on your hands in July and August with your mouth shut and then all of a sudden, when he walks out the door, you decide to pipe up. What you do is you say, sorry, Ivan, you're fucking off in about eight weeks. So I don't care what your opinion is on Aaron Ramsey's contract, because very shortly I'm going to run the show here. I don't think he should have a contract. And frankly, I'm the one who's going to have to pick up the consequences of this decision. So to just, it, it seems weird to me to just sit on your hands and wait for him to sneak out the back door, close the door and go, oh yeah, by the way, it was his fault. Um, Raul Sanye, he was, uh, was, was an employee of this club in 
a significant position. He was part of the executive committee. He might have a bigger role now, but he still had a big role in the summer. So for me, it's it's absolutely senseless um, to you know make this decision a few weeks after the window shuts. I, I can only think maybe they're trying to create a bit of a market in January, perhaps, but I'm not sure how likely that is either. But um, I think this is... Now, hopefully, it is just a bit of a messy legacy thing and we don't get any more of this going forward. But to me, it's a bad start for this executive committee because they've shown if what I think has been fed by the club is true, I don't think it reflects well on them that they didn't have the wherewithal to, you know, basically say, sorry, Ivan, your opinion doesn't really count anymore. And, you know, we, we're we scrabbling around for players in other positions and we've just kissed goodbye to you know, tens of millions of pounds. And as for, you know, people keep saying to me, oh, there wasn't, there perhaps no one wanted him. Bollocks, absolute bollocks. Whenever a, a top player has one year left on his contract and you create a market for him, the deal always, always gets done because they're the easiest transfers to do. They're the easiest because the selling club puts up almost no resistance. The player has been negotiating a salary or been in contract negotiations. So everyone knows what he wants. They're quick deals to do, which is why so many of these types of deals happen towards the wind, the end of the window. Oxlade Chamberlain buying, ring a bell? <laughs> exactly, yeah. The buying club comes in, the selling club wants to sell, so there's not much negotiation there. And the player and his representatives have been telling everyone what kind of salary they want for the last six months. So everyone knows it's, okay, you'll take this amount of money. The player will take this amount of money. Thank you very much. And so if we can sell Oxlade Chamberlain for 40 million at this stage of contract, we can sell Ramsey for 50 million plus easy and um, I think the way that Arsenal have handled this and whoever's at fault and for whatever reason basically they've got the worst case scenario they've got a player who doesn't really fit into the team that we could have got lots of money for who's basically probably going to sit on the bench for the rest of the season and we're going to get nothing for him it is absolutely the worst case scenario yeah I mean it's it's bad and let me give you this since uh, 2014 Manchester City sales, they've received 240 million pounds. Chelsea, 494 million pounds. Tottenham, 225 million pounds. Man United, 211 million pounds. Liverpool, 442 million pounds. Arsenal, 161 million pounds. Um, we are scared of selling. We are bad at selling. We don't sell when we have leverage. We are not prepared to sell players for whatever reason. Maybe Arsene Wenger felt it was a failure. It was admitting defeat. Yeah. Maybe it was to try to avoid the perception of being weak, uh, being a selling club. Maybe it's you know after the years of selling uh, uh, Nasri and Fabregas in the same window and, and losing Adebayor the way we did and, and losing um, Van Persie to United that we just felt that selling in general projected weakness. Maybe it's the fact that we felt we could not attract appropriate replacements, which is an indictment of the recruiting then, because as we've seen with Lucas Torreira and even Matteo Ganduzzi to some extent, there are players to be found that you've never heard of or didn't know much about. So I definitely think that's part of it. Uh, Paul, and I want you to address, also- well, I want you to address specifically what I tell you to address and not anything that you're interested in talking about. So let me, let me give you a question and then you can veer off into whatever interests you personally. Um, mm-hmm. What do you say to people who, as, as an excuse, or maybe excuse is too harsh, explanation say, maybe they just genuinely thought he would fit and they wanted Emery to get a chance with him because they 
they trusted in the talent of the player. There was a contract agreed in principle. And then after a couple of games, it became clear to Emery that he wasn't going to fit, and they withdrew the contract. What do you say to that defense, that Emery deserved the chance to see if the player fit his system? Um, I think Emery came into a preloaded situation in which he was expected to have a plan for Ozil and Ramsey. And so he conjured up his best way of working with those players as something of a fixture. I think it was the, the working proposition within the club was they would find an agreement with Ramsey. I think Ramsey um, expected to, to hatch a deal with the club. It was taking a long time. I suspect the main disagreement was simply money, um, but they were getting closer on both sides. And I think Ramsey's reaction is a very personal reaction. I think to me, it indicates, I mean, we're all reading the tea leaves. Who know, who the fuck knows? To me, it indicates actually at the end of the day, he wants to stay at Arsenal. He wanted to stay at Arsenal. Um, and that was his expectation. And uh, I, I have sympathy for Tim's view that it, it looks weak that San Leahy is now stepping up. I suspect during the summer he voiced his concerns. I suspect he was even stronger on the Arteta thing, which was, again, Gazidis's take. And the, the battle he chose to fight was uh, he wanted Emery over uh, Arteta, especially with the idea that Gazidis might be uh, equivocating in terms of his future and going elsewhere. He's like, you're not, you're not fucking leaving us with Arteta. Uh, he, he's your idea. We, we want a, 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 a coach going forward. We know we can work with within our philosophy. And that was the hill he died on. The Ramsey one, I'm sure he expressed his view, but, has, but wasn't going to die on that particular hill, whatever the politics are, though it does make it look a little weak because within a week of the Ivan Gazidis confirmation that he's leaving, the Ramsey thing dies. And it just looks to me like San Leahy went into uh, Emery and said, all right, we got to talk real turkey here before this goes any further. Is this how you want to spend your next 40 to 50 million do- uh, pounds given uh, the challenges you have on your plate? And Emery says, I like Ramsey, uh, but now you're making it my money. Uh, I don't like him 40 to 50 million worth. Uh, he's not even necessarily a starter for me at the moment because I haven't found a system that works for it. I, I like this idea of us pressing up front, which we started in the first couple of games with Ramsey at the 10 spot and Ozil to the right. That was my, that was in my PowerPoints from the summer when I convinced them I had a plan, but it's not going very well. Um, so now I'm not quite sure how I'm going to use Aaron Ramsey. I don't like him in the pivot. I don't I have other players who can play on the right wing. Uh, that's not while I see him as a very useful squad player and, and potentially a key player for me, I'm not convinced. And that's not how I'm spending my 40 to $50 million or pounds. And they backed off it. And uh, San Leahy says, right, well, there's two votes saying we're not convinced this is how we'd spend our money. And I'm extremely convinced. And Sven Mislint had as much better ways to spend 40 to $50 million in wages or pounds. And kind of how it came about, but it doesn't look good. And I don't think we've done the right. I think if uh, either Gazidis or Wenger were around, Ramsey wouldn't be saying that he felt disrespected by 
by the fact that nobody even bothered to explain it to him. But but I think that's very much a different different topic to Arsenal fucking up, um, losing all this revenue, uh, getting this far into this season, um, and screwing up another transfer, um, and just not handling their business well. I think those are two very very separate things. Though some people, a lot of people in defending the club against Ramsey's Ramsey's accusations go to, well, he delayed and he wanted more money. Well, that's called negotiation. We're the club that delays more than anybody else in negotiations, and we're not famous for throwing cash at players. So it was just a negotiation. That piece is pretty clean for me. They were negotiating however long it took, whatever the amounts were. Uh, Doesn't mean you can't sit down with a player who's been at the club for a decade, uh, more than helped us win two FA Cups, has been nothing but class and quality, I mean, they all look at their options, but you never see anything about him being a bit of a whore in the headlines, flirting with other clubs. Not to mention coming back from a horror challenge that, you know, could have derailed a lot of other careers, did derail a lot of other careers. Yeah, he's never been anything. I mean, he's boring in his interviews. (laughs) Good. That's that's good. He's the ultimate professional, always puts it all out there. So it wouldn't have taken much to sit down with them for 15 minutes and say, we don't have a great explanation, but, you know, this is it. We're going to give you everything we got as to why we're making the decision we have. We need fullbacks. We need uh, youth. Our age profile's off. We love you, but we don't love you 40 to 50 million. And we're just going to have to stick a fork in it. Look, at some point, if a club keeps doing things poorly, it's a poorly run club. And Arsenal, when it comes to buying and selling, is a poorly run club. Um... Arsenal has bought players that are old when they needed players that are young that will have no resale value. They have watched resale value erode on players who should have been sold to recoup a fee. They've committed huge wages to players that are probably on the wrong end of the age curve and while good, maybe don't warrant the wage they've given and by doing so set a precedent that will be make it challenging for them to re-sign players in the future. Um, all in all, the club has been a mess when it comes to contracts, when it comes to selling, and to some extent when it comes to squad building strategy. And what worries me here is you keep walking away from 40 or 50 million pound fees at a club that has to be self-sustaining, and eventually, eventually you find yourself behind the eight ball. I read off those sales figures, and Spurs have made more, City have made more, Chelsea have made more, Liverpool have made more. And United have made more. Now, there's there's some caveats there, right? I mean, you've got 50 million pound David Luiz swaps for Chelsea to to PSG and some weird shit like that. And obviously, if you can buy players for 60 million and sell them for 40 million, it looks like you're making a lot of money selling, but you're losing money. I, I get some of that. But, you know, we have we have chosen to invest in older players. We have lost out on fees for some younger players. We've mismanaged some of this. And now... We have to try to build a title contending team because, oh, by the way, at the end of the day, that's the goal, contend for the title on a budget that's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And this Ramsey business is part of that. He had to be sold. He had to be sold for a fee in the summer, and he wasn't. And if you want to say, well, you can't sell a player who doesn't want to be sold, I'm going to take Tim's point there. He could be sold. If you want to tell me, well, Emery had a right to have two games to see him play first, that kind of cavalier attitude towards your assets is just not sustainable. You, You can't... You can't throw away a 40 or 50 million pound fee because you want to give the new coach 
two games to to observe the player. And he is the coach. You know, I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but the whole reason we were celebrating getting diamond eyes and getting Raul and Ivan sort of being the, the, the head of the whole structure was that the structure was supposed to stratify responsibility and, and have better decisions being made. And it didn't result in this case. Now, I don't want to get hysterical, but I just got hysterical. So there you go. In any event, let's get back to the game. I mean, Tim, unless you have sort of final thoughts on that. I mean, as we build, rebuild this club, in the post-Vanger era. We know how hard it can be. We see what United have gone through with their unlimited resources trying to, to do it after Ferguson left. But, I mean, it, these are the kinds of decisions when you don't have a sugar daddy and you don't have United's revenue that you have to start to get right. I mean, is that just fair to say? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. And um, I, I suppose just to kind of put the finishing point to my point on that as well with, with contracts. I, I got the impression sometimes Arsene Wenger thought a contract was something you did um, for a nice boy who's been loyal and um, it, it just doesn't work like that anymore. Aaron Ramsey is a nice boy. He's been a brilliant player for us. Uh, hopefully he, continue, he can continue to be so, but selling someone doesn't mean that you hate them or that you think they're shit or that you failed. It's just, it's an absolutely fundamental part um, of life as a second-tier European club. And ultimately, Arsenal made, without player sales, Arsenal would have made £70 million of losses um, last year. So, um, And they stand to make something similar this year because they're not in the Champions League. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, it, it is what it is. And by the way, you know, to the people who say, well, Ramsey overplayed his hand, and, and there are there's always going to be people that, when choosing between the club and the player, they're going to choose the club. Of course you should choose the club. You're an Arsenal fan. You're not a Ramsey fan. I get that. But I will never begrudge a player trying to get their biggest possible wage. Their careers are short. They're over right. in their 30s. They have every right to try to make as much money as they can while they have the chance to get it. The club has every right to not fall for it, to, to win the negotiation. And I don't have a problem with a club dealing harshly with a player any more than I have a problem with a player pushing to get their best deal. So it's not that I'm saying, oh, I'm taking Ramsey's side over the club. I'm saying at the end of the day, Ramsey's job is to do the best for Ramsey, and the club's job is to do the best for the club, and they didn't do it. So it is what it is. We'll have to see how it plays out. This is not a, a calamity, but at a club that already has a slightly weird squad about it, a lot of more old players that are on big wages, you have a chance to shift an asset for a lot of money, and you don't. And that's, that's a problem. So, you know, we'll see what happens. And that kind of problem, by the way, just as a final thought, that's how you wind up having to sell a guy like Torreira at 24 because now you're behind the eight ball and he's worth $60 million, And instead of saying, well, we don't need to sell him, you have to sell him because you didn't get the 40 or $50 million for Ramsey. Anyway, um, so getting back to the game, which seems kind of trite now <laughs> by comparison, but um, uh, so, Tim, the... The referee kind of lost control of this one, I thought. Um, I, I thought it, he, ma he made a complete mess of it. I mean, first of all, the Ganduzi second yellow is absurd, right? That's, that's never a second yellow card for you? I'd, so I, I think it probably is a yellow because it's quite a deliberate foul. I think there's a question about whether you send a guy. I tend to think you should have to be a, a real bastard um, to be sent off. Um, but, it, you know, it's not wrong by the rules. I would... I, I really would have just given him a talking to and said, right, you're on your last warning. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, uh, for I'm me, I just now, don't yeah. think he had control of the game. Real. I mean, he was letting a lot of bad Blackpool fouls go 
without cards. There was a lot of weird shit. I mean, we we did get saved a couple times. The linesman had a shocker late in the match in the second half. He had about like two or three consecutive offside calls wrong um, on Arsenal. But, well, then, Tim, I'll stay with you just for one more second. The substitutions mm. kind of irked me. Look, you got Liverpool on Saturday. You've been playing two games a week for a few weeks now. You just had a week where you had three games in, what was it, six days? Mm. Um, you know, we... We had a tough game against Palace at the weekend, and we've got our toughest game, you know, since Chelsea coming up on Saturday. He brings on Iwobi. I mean, I eh, eh, prefer he doesn't, but he does fine. He brings on Aubameyang. Aubameyang gets two-footed in a scissored motion from behind. Thankfully, comes away with no damage. I mean, for you, I realize you're two one up. You're trying to hold on to a game. You're down a man, but it's Blackpool at home, and it's a a, a competition that. You're not going to be measured. Your success this season is not going to be measured on it anyway. Would you mm. have liked to have seen him avoid making those subs? Or are you more a, a little more circumspect about it? I'm slightly more circumspect. It's not what I would have done, um, but I'm not necessarily expecting Unai Emery to agree with me on that. I, I thought Torreira that I think that's kind of okay. He didn't really play the first five games of the season. Aubameyang spent plenty of time on the bench. Uwobi spent plenty of time on the bench. It's like in terms of fatigue, it, it, I don't think it's a a huge issue. Although I think you're right. I think against Palace we looked quite leggy, but then again the players that looked particularly leggy at Palace were the likes of Ozil and, and I thought Lacazette looked absolutely shot in the second half um, and and he didn't get anywhere near the game so I you know I, it's not what I'd have done but I I'm not massively exercised about it and as it happens you know Blackpool get the game to 2-1 we're down to 10 men and actually probably bringing that... I, I take your point, we should have been able to do it without them anyway, but bringing that level of experience on kind of, um, you know, put put the dampener on Blackpool a little bit. Yeah, you know, the problem is it's like, it's the League One opposition at the Emirates where they're full of adrenaline and they're fighting for the game when you worry about that kind of cloggers tackle. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? The studs up, the, the, yeah. the, the kind of League One tackle that can cost you a few weeks of your player being available. So look, I mean, this is just me. I'm always one who's deathly afraid of our players being on the pitch at all. <laughs> I wouldn't play him in any game. Just keep him safe. Um, you know, keep, keep him in the dressing room all the time. But yeah, so maybe, maybe it's a little bit of hysterics there again for me. Paul, I mean, do you have a problem with it? Would you have preferred that Torreira and, and Aubameyang in particular didn't get on? Uh, Aubameyang less so. Uh, Torreira is kind of like a single point of failure for us. Uh, on the other hand, I understand why going down to 10 men, he wanted to shore things up in midfield and looking across the bench. I'm not sure who else he's bringing in apart from Joe Willock, uh, which I guess would have been a, a reasonable substitution. Um, I don't necessarily have a problem with players playing in these B games because the more you play, the fitter you are. Yeah, you're open to to risk. But if if we have other options, I know you don't believe there's another option be- besides Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, but when there are other options to play, um, players playing tend to stay fitter longer, so it- it's a balance. Yeah. So I don't have a huge issue with it. My other issue from the, fir- from the first team that went out is just Licksteiner. Unless he's confident he's got two fullbacks, he's literally the only fit fullback we have for either wing. Uh, and playing him uh, in the first 11. Uh, I understand he's also the only fit fullback we have. 
uh, of any note in the B team too. But it, th- that's the one where I might have thought, hang on a second, is that a risk too far? We lose him. Who do we have as a fullback against Liverpool? He must on feel side? pretty good about Bellerin. I mean, he must. He the, must the other do. argument it might make is Licksteiner's been so bad that he's like, I need to get this guy more time playing uh, if I'm going to yeah. need him at the weekend. Well, let me ask yeah. you this, Paul. I mean, you've sort of quasi kind of sort of a little bit defended Mustafi uh, in that you think his level is reasonably high, but he's just got a Mustafi in him every game or two. Yeah. Again, I thought this was a bad game. And the way he got turned early in the game in his box by a League One striker, I mean, just effortlessly left him for dead. And I, with, bailed out by Licksteiner that yep, time. Yep, yep. Um, and then, you know, the, the the goal they did concede, he doesn't cover himself in glory defending set piece. I mean... For you, yeah, but but you can see him on that set piece, uh, calling to others because he knows he's got two or three guys he's marking. No, you're right. I look, I'm not pinning that on yeah. him. We can move on because I'm not. I I'm, thought he was okay. You know, well, he gets turned and left for dead. I mean, in a in a situation where the danger should have been pretty easily cut out. What I'm leading up to here is, do you think that maybe Emery starting him in this game and the performance he had in this game leans towards maybe Socrates and Holding getting the big game start together? Yeah, maybe, uh, and I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be heartbroken about that. I, I like Socrates. Um, I think Holdings actually looked begun to validate the selection of him. I know there's some question over his distribution, but his distribution, I wouldn't even call it hit and miss. There are games where, uh, you know, he, he's got it down and he's making good choices. And I think he's still just a bit young. I don't, I, I haven't looked at his numbers, but I don't, I don't think he's played a huge number of games for us at a top level. Um, and, and so I continue to get the, the vibe from him that he can become the real deal. And I was always a bit skittish on uh, Callum Chambers, much as I love the guy and I actually think he's a pretty good footballer. Um, just mentally, Holding has the vibe of a, a, a true centre-back in terms of his personality. So I can see him becoming the deal. So uh, I would not be upset if what this game meant was uh, Socrates and Holding uh, will start. Because as you say, if he was going to protect somebody, he could have protected Mustafi, had Holding play with Plegwezuela, as the French say, who I have to say, I thought he was really good in this game. It's only Blackpool, Mm -hmm. but I thought he looked the part and I thought he played the part. Um, It's strange that he hasn't got a, a look in before based on this and based on the positive vibes he gets you know he's the captain of what the under 23s tim will tell me yeah Um, and uh, what's your take on plague as well as we're talking about him um i i don't really watch much of the under 23s anymore um so i I haven't seen much of him at youth level but i i thought he he was um i thought he was pretty good yeah he he spent I think the second half, I can't remember if it was the second half or the whole of last season on loan in Spain. Yeah. At, um, I, I think in the, in the second division. So, I mean, he's got, and he's 21, he's got like a fair amount of football be- behind him. And I think that showed um, yeah. as well. So yeah, I thought he was perfectly decent. Well, that- Off topic, but yeah, uh, maybe it means Socrates and holding for Liverpool. Yeah. Well, so Tim, let me ask you, I mean, do you think maybe Mustafi's best position at this point, like if we're trying to get, the best result with him is sort of inside and back and down, like inside of a, a large cannon pointed at the sun. <laughs> uh, yeah, quite possibly. Um, to be honest, I just, I, I just don't ever see 
um, him losing that. You know, I've said it before, he just reminds me of David Luiz. Um, you know, he'll have like four or five games where you think, yeah, he's, he's, he's actually a really good high-level defender. And then he'll do something that makes you think, like, what, like, what are you thinking? Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that's maybe an experiment we need to, we need to give up on. We can't at the moment, really, because, well, we, I mean, we can in terms of playing Socrates and holding, and that's who I'd play, but we can't completely off Mustafi at this point because we need bodies. Um, but I think in the summer that would, that would be, you know, I'd be trying to, you know, raise some cash there to buy another centre half. And I doubt we'd get the 35 million we paid for him back. But um, maybe if we could, you know, whisper, pour some honey in some ears um, and try and get some money for him and, and, you know, perhaps try and get uh, the, the centre back version of Torreira or something, then, then that would be a good result. Yeah, and I again, I I just don't see how you can trust. I mean, Tim, do you do you sort of buy my theory that yeah, it's great to have like world class, out of this world, incredible defenders like you know Rafael Varane or something or Sergio Ramos. Not that anybody likes him, but but that you can get by with okay defenders if they don't have that calamitous moment in them. That yeah, that he, he it reminds me of Almunia in a way. You know, you can be okay with a mediocre goalkeeper if he doesn't do the catastrophically stupid thing. Um, it's always nice yeah. to have a De Gea, but, but Mustafi, much like Almunia to me, just has a com- comedically, hilariously terrible move in him every game. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I, kind of, I think a decent Arsenal comparison you said about the goalkeeper there was John Lukic in the late 80s. Yeah, John Lukic was a 7 out of 10 goalkeeper. He was, he was, he was nothing special, but he didn't chuck the ball in his own net. Um, obviously, we were able to upgrade with David Seaman, but uh, so what you're describing there, I mean, it just reminds me of Rob Holding. Like, I, I don't think Rob Holding has been absolutely outstanding. Yeah, you point. know, he's he's just he's been decent. He's been seven out of ten, um, which <laughs> puts him above. Mustafa, like Mustafi's ceiling is higher. Mustafi's best performances are better than Rob Holding's, but. A, they're not that much better, and B, um, his terrible performances are, are just too costly. Yeah, and and to me, um, you know, if anybody cares about just my health, my well-being, my my blood pressure, uh, my outbursts on Twitter, my ability to control myself and and behave in a, an emotionally mature way, I think it would be everyone's best interest then if Mustafi was just a little further from the starting eleven. Uh, let's turn our attentions and oh, so well, okay. Before we turn our attentions to Liverpool, the draw was made. Uh, it's Spurs at home. This is a tricky one. I mean, uh, Paul, it's a competition that we don't need. It's not a competition that the coach will be measured on. It's not a competition that winning it really gives us anything. I mean, even to the extent that it's a trophy, and you'd always love a trophy, you know, going deep in this competition can actually be an albatross. Um, how how do you handle a North London Derby in the Carabao Cup? I mean, if you're Emery, do you have... The, the credit banked with the supporters to go with a lineup like this again? So the, I guess the problem is we'll be playing them 18th or 19th of December, he says, just looking it up. So that's between a game against Southampton away on the 16th and a home game on the 22nd. So uh, in a very, very busy period. Um, that yeah. seems like a, a very dicey proposition to put too much into. Um, plus... All it does is get you uh, a double fixture in the semi-finals. Thank you very much. 
um, sometime in what February or something. So, um, you know, it's ugly. I, I don't know. Uh, I think you gotta play the Utes uh, more in that game, and they'll probably be playing the Utes too, and let the best Utes win. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I would certainly recommend that. I mean, Tim. Do you think the supporters will tolerate that if it doesn't go the right way? I mean, does Emery have the, mm-hmm. the credit in the bank to make that decision, and would you support that decision? I, I think he might just about, uh, unless we go into the game in disastrous form. Um, I think Spurs will play a strong team, or a strongish team, just because when you look at their squad, they've only got about 19 players. They don't have a lot of scope to you know put out a complete second 11. I, I think he might mix and match for this one and you know to all intents and purposes we can still put out a really good attack we can still put out Ramsey Mkhitaryan you know one of Aubameyang or Lacazette um, no problem um, and and not suffer too much because we've got so much room for rotation up there Danny Welbeck you know players like that um, and you know Kenduzi hopefully will be available so I'd, and actually in defence we don't have much um much kind of space to rotate because we're short on numbers back there but I also don't think it's as important to rotate your centre backs anyway I I don't think they suffer with fatigue quite in the same way so I think it will be a fairly strong team but I I don't necessarily think it will be what he considers to be his strongest 11 but I think all of the big boys will be involved Um, it just might be that some of them are on the bench I think Spurs will play quite a strong team, particularly if they've gone out of their Champions League group, because um, I don't think they'll bother too much with the Europa League if they're in that, because I don't think they've got a big enough squad. Whereas this, they might think, "Yeah, go on, let's." You know, I've, for, for Spurs, you know, they've got to address a little bit of um, not so much narrative, but they're in danger of the mood going a bit sour because the the stadium's been a fuck up and they'll have gone out probably have gone out of their Champions League group and people will be saying, well, where's the progress? And Pochettino, I think what Pochettino said about, you know, winning the domestic trophies has been largely correct. I understand where he's coming from, but he might look at it this time round and think, no, I've, I've got to like swing the moodometer here a little bit. So they might consider the League Cup um, a bit more attractive than they have in the past. Um, personally, I... After last year, um, getting to that final against Manchester City, my I, I used to be f- like relatively enthusiastic about the League Cup, but I think that final against City last year broke me. Where I just thought, "Wow, this has been a massive waste of time." Um, and and on a personal standpoint, I won't be able to go to the game. I'll, I'll probably be on a plane when it's happening. Actually, so you hardly go um, anymore anyway. So it doesn't uh, well, yeah, I know, I know. So um, my interest in it is is slightly lower. Yeah, I guess here's the thing: we play Spurs on what the second of December and United the fifth yep. of December. I think depending how those fixtures go might depend on how he handles this. Right? If we beat Spurs yep. at the Emirates in the league, I think it buys him the Definitely. the goodwill especially if we then go and get a result at Old Trafford, it buys him the goodwill to, to maybe rotate more heavily. But if we've lost to Spurs, lost at Old Trafford, and our league performance is flagging, then I think he, he kind of has to pay that back in the League Cup, which is unfortunate because yeah, I, yeah. I don't think he should, but that might be the situation. So let's turn our attention briefly to the Liverpool match. We don't want to talk too much about it because the really, really good content is going to be Tim's match preview over on Patreon. You don't want to miss it. But uh, for those of you who will not be over there, 
we want to give you fantastic hashtag content also. Uh, so unfortunately, we're going to have Paul talk about it. Paul, um, th- this is the first real measuring stick. Right. I mean, mm, so you got two great. two groups of people. You got people who look at the analytics, look at the underlying metrics behind the performances on Project Twenty Two. Is that what it turned out? And say, really good points haul, unconvincing performances along the way. Still trying to determine where we are in the process with Emory. Then you have other people who look at those people and say, "You're fucking cunts. We got twenty two points out of twenty four. Take your slide rule and shove it up your ass, nerd. We're fine. We're doing great. Emory in, Emory in, Emory in. Um, so for the people that are, are still looking to see where we are in the, in the process, I think this is going to be a really important game. For the people who want the slide rules jammed up asses, I would be willing to bet that deep down they kind of know some of the performances haven't been there. And then if this goes sideways on us, they might start to feel a little antsy. So where do you fall on you know in that venn diagram of of where you see the process right now uh i guess i'm about to get a slide rule up my ass no it's, i'm is it friday a. already boom <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't really understand that okay. um so yeah i've uh, i'm category a so uh, look just because we've we've done really well on the points and the performance hasn't been there. It doesn't mean the manager doesn't get a huge amount of credit because yeah. the mentals are right, right? We've, we've finished games stronger than we started them. Uh, and the points are bel- banked. You don't, you don't have yeah. to give them back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and we've seen before kind of, we don't want to get all caught up in mentality, but there's definitely a mentality standpoint where people are believing and understand what they're supposed to be doing in general terms uh, and actually think they'll win games when you come away with more points that maybe the underlying performances might have hinted at. So we get stronger during games and we finish fairly strong. I'm okay with that. I think the manager gets a huge amount of credit compared to last year and we're winning away from home. I mean, kudos all over the place. The performances, you know, are we Fulham or are we crystal palace in terms of our performances and um as you say liverpool will be a very good ph indicator of where we're at we played chelsea and city way before we were ready to um, we should at least for our midterm reports be comfortable uh, putting in a solid performance against, against liverpool that's reflective of how we've developed so i think this is a very meaningful game and um, we'll have a couple more meaningful games against Spurs and United coming up soon. So we'll have a pretty good indication where we're at at that stage that'll go beyond stats and people seeing the world differently. It, um, if anything, I, I think it could bring those two groups of people, the slide rule people and the people that want to uh, uh, have anal intercourse with the slide rule people into alignment because I've gone full yeah. polar. But but because if it's a, no, uh, if it's no, a you win... Haven't. Enough, you never go full polar. If, it, if it's a win, I think... Everyone will be on side, regardless, because winning a big game makes everybody happy, period. Um, if it's a loss, and especially if it's a bad loss, I think the people that weren't in Doubtsville might slide over to Doubtsville a little bit. So that, t- Tim, I'm going to ask you two questions that I don't think will step on your toes at all for the, the preview, um, because they're inane. So the first question is just, you, look, you're at the Emirates, you're around the away supporters, you, you, you know what the real humans are thinking, um, unlike the dirty foreigners like myself. So how much, after, after getting 22 from 20, 
four points. What's your sense of how precarious the confidence in Emory is? I mean, if this goes poorly on Saturday, do you feel that the Emirates will be quick to turn uh, away from the confidence that was built up? I mean, how precarious is the situation in your mind? Um, no, I don't think it is at the moment. Um, maybe a couple, two or three defeats would would really test that. But I think my reading of it is that people really, really want to buy into what Emery is doing. Hence, though, we've got our Arsenal back um, chance and things like that. People are, pe- people are, you know, I I think seeing things over generously, but um, I'm kind of fine with that. Um, that you know, I'd rather that than the alternative. But so I don't think I. I think if we were to lose to Liverpool, for example, it would be a reality check. But people wouldn't turn per se. Yeah. So all right. Well, that's. I mean, that's encouraging because I look. I know I can come across as what's the word? Um, uh, a twat sometimes. But like, ultimately, I want to believe in this team. I want to believe in this coach. I want to believe that we're going to achieve things together, and I think we have the talent to do it. So like, it's not that I want to see uh, clouds in every silver lining. It's just that I think it is fair to wonder if this run of twenty-two points suggests that we're far enough in the process to be up for this kind of challenge. I mean, unfortunately, Liverpool look like they're hitting their stride right now. Their their form has been improving. Um, they've been playing really well. Salah is scoring goals again. So, Tim, my second question then, again, not to get too much into the X's nose of it. A shithead. Uh, yeah, I can be. That's a what bu- it can be. A buffoon. A, that, that's what it was. A buffoon. That's right. A Shit. lunatic. L- that's the, yes. Yes. That's it. A hyena. Would you, Unhinged. Would, yep, that too. Do you have the, a, a quizzling weasel? Do you have the source.com open right now? Just be honest. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I draw up a short list of adjectives for you for just such a case. I just, or you might have been on my Twitter mentions. Um, so, uh, so then my second question, Tim, is just putting aside the X's nose, your expectation from this match, without any gloss, without any veneer, what do you mm. expect to happen on Saturday? Um, I think it's going to be a draw. Okay. actually um and, and would I'd, you take that yeah 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 i'd take that uh, i i think that'd be fine i think we've built up enough of a bank of points against um some of the dregs over the last few weeks i think that would um because basically i don't th- not that i think it's you know absolutely unlikely but i don't think we are going to win if you if you asked me to call a winner i'd say liverpool might do it narrowly but um I, I don't think they've been hugely impressive the last few weeks but they've been finding a way to win maybe a little bit like us um but yeah i i think this would be a draw and i i'd be relatively happy with that yeah i i think i would take it i mean paul here's what's interesting just to wrap this up I think the second half against City and the first half against Chelsea were maybe two of our better performances this season, given the circumstance and the opposition. Um, I think we were good in patches of those games, and I liked some of the things we tried. What's interesting is we had very unique approaches to those games that have not even remotely resembled our approaches to the games subsequently. We've gotten Mm -hmm. very vanilla and very similar since then. And there's a part of me that has wondered, and I've wondered it on this podcast, has Emery just sort of picked a stable reliable 11 for these quote-unquote easier games and kind of just managed his way through with a very straightforward game plan but when the big games come up will we see a total departure from that is there a part of you that thinks maybe we will see a significant departure in the lineup in the tactics in the system what we try that we try against liverpool versus what we saw for project 24 
Look, that's a that's a really interesting question, um, which makes me think, and, and also the the fact that you know the these things people call you about you being a moron and an idiot. Mm-hmm. When they listen to something like that, maybe that gives them some pause. The thing is, they stop but, listening in around thirty five minutes. So okay, um, so. It's a great question. What did the first two mean? First two games mean versus this one? Um, I, I tend to think he learned from the first two games um, and then decided to change how he was going to play generally. But we'll find out against Liverpool. I think he is playing it safer, a bit more vanilla. Um, I don't think he can then just suddenly change it around against Liverpool and play a different style that he hasn't even attempted to play against lesser teams. I mean, why not play more, for example, pressing with the front four style if that's what you're going to look to do against a Liverpool uh, when they show up? So uh, it, it would seem awfully brave to kind of play possum for that many games in a style and then suddenly decide you're going to do it totally different against Liverpool. So I expect to see more of the same. Uh, I haven't seen the pressing I was looking for in the front four. doesn't seem to be something we're looking to do. What we do seem to do is uh, we keep things compact all up the spine. We're not, we're not very wide. The width only comes from the full backs. So, uh, and with the high energy levels and the high work rates, we get in a lot of tackles. We get in a lot of, action busyness upfield without it truly being a press as such and i think that's he's just going to continue to use that against liverpool i think it's we're going to fight the midfield it was interesting to see ganduzi against palace in the midfield um i actually thought the two boys did really well in terms of the fight um i thought they got the upper hand in terms of midfield um Liverpool is going to be a whole other battle. And without Genduzi, it's going to be back to Torreira and Chaka, which is probably best overall. Um, but they're going to have their hands full. So they're going to need somebody dropping into that midfield to help them out as a third player. So he definitely has a choice on his hands. But I think in terms of style, I don't think he has two styles that he was planning to flip between. I think this is his fallback position and he was planning to keep it going forward. Yeah, I, I and I can totally see the logic behind that and it makes total sense. And yet I think we're going to see a totally different approach for the Liverpool game than we've seen for the last nine or 10. I think, Interesting. I think he'll approach it completely differently. And I kind of think he has to. Um, I don't think you can do I what we I probably agree with that bit. Yeah, well, yeah. and look, we the can agree on this. there. If he doesn't have Bellerin and Monreal or Bellerin and Kostiunacho, whoever it is, he's in deep Yikes. shit. And then he's going to have Yikes. trouble because Salah and, and Mane are going to rip us apart. I almost wonder if he would tell Torreira to like man mark Firmino because when Firmino drops into that false nine position sort of in front of the center backs and pulls their attention there, it opens up all kind of space for those two to run in behind. And I, I don't trust any of our center backs to handle that situation too well, especially if our fullbacks are up the pitch. So... I would like to see someone right in Firmino's face all game long so he can't collect the ball deeper, turn, and play in the runners. We'll see what happens. I, I'm looking Losing forward... Losing Ganduzi really limits his options. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, it really does. I, I think I think we will play differently, um, and I'll be curious to see if that happens. And, you know, any, any way you slice it, I have said this before. Look, this is not a perfect Arsenal team. It is a flawed Arsenal team. But there's a lot of talent in this team, and I, I don't think any team in England, with the possible exception of City, should be able to just play us off the pitch, especially our own pitch. And I don't think Liverpool are good enough to play us off our pitch. So I, I expect it to be a good 
a good match, and I expect us to be in it. Whether or not it's enough for us to get a result, I think will heavily depend on who's available at fullback, and uh, you know, and and how we look in front of goal because we'll get a couple of chances. We're going to have to take them. So we'll see what happens again. I, I'm excited to to listen to and watch uh, Tim's match preview on Patreon because that will really be far superior than anything we've just done on this podcast. Um, in any event. We're going to leave it there. That's a lot of talk for a, for a midweek Carabao Cup game. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo. Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Tim, such a pleasure to have you back. My pleasure as always. Yeah. So uh, once again, uh, the winner of the shirt, if you missed it uh, earlier, we announced it. It's Alan Wayne. Alan, we will be emailing you. Uh, we'll have uh, uh, additional shirt competitions in the future. So if you didn't win... Um, and if your name's not Alan Wayne, you didn't win. Uh, there'll be a chance to win in the future. We'll have our new exciting sponsor starting uh, next week, so listen for that. We'll come back with a podcast after the Liverpool match. So big, big game. It's it's fun. I'm excited for it. It's been a while, and you know we've been on this good run, and, and hopefully the team is now ready to take another important step forward in the process. So up the arsenal, everybody. We're excited to talk to you after the match. We might come to you with a halftime game then, but until then, uh, halftime show. You know what I mean. Anyway. Uh, my name's Elliot Smith. Blockman on Twitter gives five-star review. Write nasty things about Scott and Clive. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Liverpool 0.